0: This is a Maine Hustle Media podcast.
1: Hey, y'all, this is and Nicole, a.k.a. your favorite lesbian. And you're listening to Black Radical Queer Podcast, our stories on our own terms. Hi, everyone. This is Xavi and Nicole, and you're listening to Black Radical Queer Podcast. As usual, I'm going to um, let my guests introduce themselves so you can see who I have with me today, and then we will get into our conversation.
0: Awesome. So I am Marla Renee Stewart. I am the owner of Velvet Lips, uh, co-founder of the Sex Down South Conference, um, and I'm also a, a lecturer at Clayton State University. And i um, here and I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay. So, um, I'm, I mean, I'm excited to
1: have Marla on because I actually, when I decided to do the podcast, I kind of had a list of people that I, um, I was like, okay, yeah, I want to tap these folks and see if they would be interested in being on. And for Marla specifically, I had like this whole little, um, thing in mind, like, okay, I already know what I want to talk to her about and blah, blah, blah. But before I even reached out, um, she contacted me on Instagram, so I was like, "Well, that worked out <laughs> because I already had like my little list. Like, oh, I need to reach out and see if she has time. I just assumed she was too busy. Um, So I'm glad that that worked out." But <laughs> no, was,
0: never too busy for you. Come on. <laughs>
1: I mean, I know you have a lot um, on your plate because you do a lot of a lot of different things, especially um in the community and a lot of education um things. So um, I'm mindful of that, but I'm glad that I am able to have you on because definitely with The work that you do, you have a wealth of knowledge. And so I think it'll be I think it'll be good for um, the listeners to, of course, just get to know a little bit more about you and about your own personal story and your identity, kind of just like who Marla is, as well as um, information about. Velvet lips, sex down south and all the things that you have going on. Um, but then I also want to do kind of like this, uh, I guess you can say queer queer sex and sexuality or queer sex ed type of conversation too. Because when I thought about when I have it's something I had been wanting to do and I'm like, who would be the guest that I would want to discuss that with? And um, so before diving into all that, um I want folks to just get to know a little bit more about you. So what's you know some of your background, like where are you from? Um, kind of how do how do you identify those types of things?
0: So I am originally from California, Northern California, um, from Sacramento and San Francisco. Uh, I went to college in San Francisco, but before before college, I actually um, sort of my my career journey started, you know, in high school and um, I was a. You know, I was 16 and, you know, I had my first boyfriend and uh, the same year I had my first girlfriend. And it's so funny because I I just celebrated my 20th high school year reunion. And I was telling them, I was like, you know, I came out in high school. I was like, not to my friends, but, you know, to my to my parents. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And they had no you know, nobody had a clue um, because, you know, I wasn't out to a whole lot of friends i was out to maybe two of my closest friends um and um pretty funny i would say <laughs> my mom you know she was like one of those you know she i was talking to my quote unquote best friend right on the phone mm-hmm. and it, it was during the time <laughs> that ellen was coming out um when she had her own you know had her show before her fabulous new show her current yeah yeah. (laughs) her current show so um you know my mom comes in my room and she's just like what are you watching and I was like I'm watching Ellen she's like who are you talking to I was like I'm talking to Shannon she's like are you gay and I was like uh no no what are you talking about no and (laughs) oh god I I know and then like a couple months later um I was like oh my god I never lied to my parents you know so it was really pretty difficult for me and I was just like oh so two months later I said you know remember when you asked me that and she was like, Oh my God, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I was like, you just asked me that like two months ago. Like, what are you right. talking about? Like, why are you tripping? Oh, now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, um, so that sort of, you know, and at that time I just really didn't know what I was right. Because I was attracted to, you know, I, I had a couple of attractions to, um, a couple of guy attractions and, but I was attracted to women. And so, um, you know, I just acknowledged that I was attracted to them both, but my mom was just like, Oh my God. And she bring me all these like queer newspapers and then like you know and then one time you know and it's embarrassing I think as a 16 year old like she brought me like a, a lesbian sex pamphlet and was like I don't know what they do but here you know do do be safe I mean, you know I was
1: trying to be supportive which is awesome but it's like I would have been you know as a teenager it's like oh my god mom right exactly exactly I was just like oh my god why would you do that um so um uh, but you know I'm so thankful for her support. That's actually that's actually pretty progressive though. A mom to be like, you know, I know I don't know about this, but let me just try to give you resources the best way I can. Like I'm confused, but I'm trying to yeah. help a
0: girl. <laughs> yeah, totally. Right. And I think it, it stems from her being a teenage mother. Right. So she was just really like, you know, first she was just like, I just don't want you to be pregnant. Right. And so that was hardcore. She didn't want me to be pregnant. And I was like, of course I get it. So she just really wanted me to be safe in sort of all aspects. But, um, I felt it was really, um, Uh, Like, as I got older, of course, I was just like, I'm thankful that I had a mother like that, right? Like, I'm thankful that, like, my mom has been super supportive and really amazing to me. But as far as, like, my journey into who I am and who I've become, um, yeah, I went to school at San Francisco State. I played college basketball. Um, Before I even had one class, um, I came out to my team and I was just like, hey, look, I like women. So there's that. (laughs)
1: Um,
0: And my... You know my team was really like okay like and a, a few of them were like of course me too like what are you talking about so um and there was like not there was like 10 freshmen on the team so it was like a super it was like in 10 you know sophomore juniors and seniors so it was just like a full team but it was really an amazing experience. And when I was even in school, I studied human sexuality and just a lot of my, you know, friends would come up to me and be like, Marla, can you give me advice on, you know, I was raped and I have herpes. What do I do now? Or I have, you know, or like, Help me figure out this. You know, should I ask this guy out or Marla? I need help with this or that. Like, I, I, people just came to me for like relationship advice and for sex advice. And, um, and I was just like, hmm, I think this is my calling. You know, I was really <laughs> organic and, um, and I just per- have pursued that ever since. I really wanted to help people to learn about like seduction, just be educated, just be more knowledgeable about themselves, about their bodies. Um, and, So when I was in, so I went to, I was on a college scholarship as well for psychology. So um, they made us apply to like 80 bajillion grad schools. So I (laughs) uh, ended up at grad school in Atlanta and um, that was, you know, interesting because I was like the only black queer in the program. So I just got a lot of shit from just, you know, professors, just, you know, I had a lot, a lot of like white women professors who were just really on my ass. Like, just, it was, it was actually a really horrible experience. That, sounds, <laughs> um, that sound fun. Yeah. Um, and I, I, you know, I ended up getting my master's that I, you know, while I was doing my, um, My PhD work, um, I, you know, I did my comprehensive exams and they were like, oh, this is the highest grade we've ever seen since 1976. Like, you are amazing. And it was like, however, like your dissertation would be probably the best thing you'll ever do in your life. So maybe you should dumb it down. That's basically what they told me in this like almost phenomenal letter. Yeah. And so I was like, wow. I was like, you think my dissertation is the best thing that I'm going to do in my life? Like, fuck you guys. Right. Like, this is crazy. Yeah. What kind of shit is that to say? <laughs> right. So I ended up doing my Ph.D. work, ended up, you know, working on my dissertation. And then I they were just they ended up changing the rules for white people and in my program, and I was just like, "This is, I, I can't do this anymore." And so I ended up leaving. Um, so I have a PhD education, but no PhD. So that's the shitty part of it. But mm-hmm. um, but you know, I I still want to to do it. And maybe there's just another program that's out there for me um, that I just haven't bumped into yet or, you know, and then I'm also doing a whole like shit ton of other things, too, that I feel good about. Um, So with my business, I started that while I was in grad school. So I think that's, gosh, nine years, nine and a half years now um, since I started Velvet Lips um, and uh, been, you know, helping people with, you know, their sexuality issues problems and and you know i often try to cater to, like queer folks like i've often done like you know speed dating or whatever but like it's so interesting like i mostly cater to like straight people um <laughs> because there's just like i don't know i don't know if like queer folks have the money to pay me or like i don't know or maybe they just feel like they are already blessed in that area like and at the same time i i have done i have worked with like queer therapists who have, like, all, like, queer clients and have done programs with them. Um, But, like, as far as, like, my personal clients goes, it's always, like, you know, straight people. So,
1: Um, I mean, is there anything, is there anything about kind of just the, progression, I guess you can say, of Velvet Lips from the time that you started it and kind of what you envisioned for it at that time versus where it is now? Is there anything that has like surprised you or like what has that looked like? Because did you, has anything changed like from what you
0: envisioned for it when you started it? Oh yeah, for sure. Like a lot of things have changed. Um, And I think it's just been a progression over time. It sort of ebbs and flows and like, what is good? Like, you know, I started a podcast and I did this and I did that. And I just realized like like you know, they're just, it, it, it moves. It has to move with what's going on at the time, right? So nine years mm-hmm. ago, we weren't doing a whole lot of live streaming or, you know, like through the internet and things like that. And just because the internet is so central to like the work right now, um, I think I have to now again, transition into moving into something different. But, you know, I did podcasts. I, I did see um, clients every now and again, not as much as I do now. Um, I did a lot of workshops. I was hired actually at a lot of like universities and, you know, nonprofit organizations or different, you know, companies, churches even. Um, uh, so I really just um, decided that like, you know, I'm going to move with whatever I'm moving with, you know, like whatever it is that is happening at the moment. I'm gonna just go with it. So um, I think now I'm gonna move into sort of videos, live streaming, things like that, but also do my in-person workshops because you know people really enjoy those too.
1: Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I mean, really kind of just uh, adapting with the times, <laughs> really. Um, especially like if, after almost a decade of of having a business um, that's been successful in in an area where. I don't know if it would be more difficult to I mean, it's already difficult to have a business anyway, but um, to just be able to kind of stay with the times and continue to be successful um, to me is a big deal. And then especially as a black woman business owner, um, to me, I think is a big deal.
0: Um. So how how did when did um, Sex Down South start? So Sex Down South started in, gosh, we had our first conference in 2015, which means we started 2014. Um, we did a survey, figured out, I did some mentorship with uh, Marianne Adams to figure out like, what kind oh, of, what I should Marianne. I do? Yeah, oh. like I was just <laughs> asking her a bunch of questions, and I was like, how do I put on a conference? Like, this is what, you know, T and I want to do, like, and she just really gave me some really great insight. So we put out a survey and say like what do you what do you want in a conference and people you know fill out the survey they gave us some phenomenal answers and how much they would pay to go to this conference like the people gave us what you know what what we're actually producing which is actually amazing because right, we've right. blown up so much you know it's like I think our first year we had about 250 people our second year we had 350 we had to cancel our hotel event um last year and, and mm-hmm. but we did like a sex sex ATL thing sort of like TED talk style right. um, and then this year of course we're on again and we're expecting about 450 people this year so, so when is it this year because it's coming up it's yeah like September, September 6th right? through the yeah. And we're actually doing a couple of pre cons too. one is a Tuesday and Wednesday is going to be a, a POC centered uh, sexual attitude reassessment um, that Bianca Loreno is doing. And then um, we also have a, a desire mapping on Wednesday, um, which is going to be an all day event as well. And I did desire mapping at the Creating Change Conference. I don't know if you're familiar with that, like queer conference uh, that travels. Mm. Um Mm-mm. But creating change, um, they always have the desire mapping, and it was really phenomenal. There was like two hundred people though at that one. Yeah. So what um, is what is desire mapping? So desire mapping is sort of like thinking about where your desires are coming from, and maybe where they're where they have been rooted, you know. Uh, mm. And so I talked about like my experience of being with a porn star, and how that sort of has has really kind of shaped my. Um, sexuality um, Mm -hmm. over time. And so it's just thinking about like, why do you desire these things? What, you know, what... Mm Um, And for me, I really realized that I really like the element of surprise, right? Like I really love Mm. like when somebody does something new and different and like, I don't know what's coming. Um, And so for me, it's shaped my desire of just like being surprised or being in awe or being shocked um, about what somebody can do to me sexually. Um,
1: I had never, I had never heard the term desire mapping, but um, once you described it, I mean, it's definitely something that. I I've done and that I do kind of periodically just kind of going over you know it's like hey what makes me tick what am I interested in what and why because I'm just I'm very curious and very like uh just a nerd (laughs) so uh, I try to kind of get to the bottom of okay well if I'm into this thing why like why is it that you're into this what is it that you like about it um because I am very assertive and dominant and those kind of things. So, um, I look at how my experiences have shaped just my, what my inclinations are in terms of the things that I enjoy. And it's just so interesting to me as I try to like connect those dots. Um, because there's some things when I was younger, I would try to, I would kind of like reject, like I would recognize something about myself and I'm like, "Mm, I don't know if I like that, (laughs) you know, like I, it was really kind of like some shame ultimately is what it boils down to, like some type of shame or me kind of um, judging myself for being into whatever it was. And I'm just like, okay, why? At this point now, I'm just like, I don't judge myself because I'm like, I'm grown. I'm going to do what I do. But at the time, um, I don't know. It's just as I discover more about myself, some stuff I was like, "Mm, I don't know if I'm okay with it. Um, And I had to really kind of interrogate that and figure out why, like what would be like, why would not be okay if I'm not like out here, you know, harming people or something. um, Why well, wouldn't I be OK with it? Is it because I'm concerned about what other people think or, you know, what? So I had to kind of get to the bottom of that. I that's think that amazing is that you can do, can
0: do that yourself, <laughs> I must say, because a lot of people can't. And it's, it's so to, I more props to you to too. like actually think about it. And I mean, it's probably because you said you are a nerd. You know, it's probably one of those things that like a lot of people just don't even think about those things. And so right. that's, that's where amazing. I come in to help them think. Think
1: about it. Yeah. Right. Cause it's like if there's things you never even considered. I think for me it's part of it, part of it is just um, like I'm a researcher at heart, so I like to research everything, including like my own internal stuff. But um part of it is just the the that psychology and the counseling like background. So um I kind of before really looking at other people, I really did a lot of like analysis of myself. Um, but yeah, a, a lot of it um people don't even really think about. I don't even think it's a matter of like, hey, I'm avoiding this. It's just it never crossed their minds. So to be able to come to you and have you really like open their minds in that way, I'm sure it's just really profound for folks as they as they start to discover more about themselves, just things they never even consider.
0: Yes, for sure.
1: I yes. Agreed. So for you, or was there anything for you um, when you did like the desire mapping to anything surprise you?
0: Hmm. You know, it was nice because it was just like we meditated on some things. I yeah, I actually was surprised at one particular thing because, you know, in our society, we are really thinking about how, you know, women are objectified. And as I was meditating and thinking about even myself, I realized that I treated myself as an object. Right. Like I've been so sort of colonized in the mind that like I have um, have had an issue just realizing that like I need to decolonize my mind because I am also treating myself as an object instead of myself as a subject or as a, as a person of agency. So um, and let, like I am here for everybody else's enjoyment, you know, mm. um, and oh, yeah. yeah, that was pretty Tough, right? To like realize. Um,
1: yeah, that's a that's a hard one of those hard truths. Mm-hmm. Um, when you have to. Yeah. I mean, because I, I had to come to one of those kind of realizations. Um, it was actually after after going through like some relationships and going through one particularly toxic one. And then I just remember kind of looking at myself. I felt like I was on the outside looking in at myself instead of kind of being in myself. Probably sounds weird as hell. But um. and I just was kind of like, what are you doing? Like you are so focused on this other person and other just, you know, other people that you really have put yourself in this role of. What like kind of what can you do for them uh, without having that for yourself? So, I mean, I definitely believe in being a vessel and like, you know, helping people. That's what I want to do. So that's why like I chose the field I chose. But um, you have to like pour into yourself, too. And I was not doing that. (laughs) I just wasn't. I just didn't even um, I don't know to an extent. I didn't even consider it. So. I'm like, OK, so you're just looking at yourself as like this, the really this thing to do for other people or to be something for other people. And then where does that leave you? It leaves it left me feeling like I had nothing for myself and feeling like I had I was just like, who am I? Like I had lost myself and had to kind of figure that out. So it was yeah. it was a very...
0: Hard. (laughs) Yeah, but and even thinking about that though, like that is ingrained in our DNA, right? Like thinking, going back to like slavery times, we have been as Black women, we have Mm -hmm. been here for other people Mm -hmm. than ourselves. So. What's interesting about that is, you know, Black women, you know, of course, we've been, you know, for other people and um, thinking about slavery times. And when I was talking to this neuroscientist, you know, she was like, it's actually ingrained in our DNA. Like the reason why there's a lot of overweight people is because we were starving, you know, during the Depression or whatever. Right. And like our bodies, you know, DNA is like, hey, you've been starved before, so you need to go ahead and like stock up, you know, like. That's so the that starvation mode. it, it adapted, our bodies adapted. Exactly, exactly. And so, you know, the same thing with, you know, us as Black women and thinking about slavery and how we were, you know, used for other people. Um, And that, to realize that is just like, ugh, like, it's probably in, in our DNA, it's something we actually have to actively combat because mm-hmm. we're just t- used to being you know, not putting ourselves second instead of first. Right. If even second. <laughs> right. I
1: mean, you know, we have to really it does take a lot of work to reject that because so much of our worth, like so much of our um, what we've been told our self-worth should be invested in revolves around what we can do for other people it revolves around. OK, you're a wife, you're a mother, you're a teacher, you're this or that. Um, and that is your significance. Like your significance is what you can do um, to improve other people's lives, not what you can do for yourself and then if we do things that are for ourselves then it's like oh you're selfish and it's looked at as this um as a very negative thing so to be able to reject that um is definitely you know a form of resistance but it's really really hard when you have all these things working against you (laughs) telling Mm -hmm. you that you should be doing otherwise um And that definitely does play out in our sexuality if we look at um, just kind of expressing or not expressing what our desires are and what we need for our needs to be met. And we we are told like, okay, well, your body is really just like to be used for someone else's, not even someone else's, but specifically a man's (laughs) pleasure Mm. and your pleasure does not. It, like your your uh your pleasure is like incircumstantial. Like if you if you get some pleasure, fine. But that's not the goal. That's not like the point. Um it doesn't really matter. But if you just so happen to, then it's like, okay, cool. It's like a byproduct. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, we're it's ingrained in us So like, you know, you, you please your man and you know how to keep him interested. And I mean, all that type of stuff is tailored toward women. They don't really tailor toward men. Like how to keep your woman, you know, interested in they do stuff like in women's magazines where they're like, this is how you spice it up and make sure that you, um, do the same things, uh, to keep them that you did to get them and keep yourself up. And, and that men are not told that they're not told like, Hey, dress up for your woman or try these new things for her, or, you know, do something to help her relax and set the mood. No, (laughs) like, it's just like that they don't have that responsibility. Um, everything is catered to them. Um, So it's just really it doesn't surprise me that so many women are, you know, either repressed or or just unaware of like, hey, what are the things that I actually am even interested in? What gets me off? What turns me on? What um, would actually please me when you haven't even had some type of a format or like some type of framework or anything to explore that?
0: Yeah, that's like right on point, actually, because I get a lot of clients and a lot of women who are just like, I actually don't even know what I desire. Like I went and saw this actually this lesbian couple, and they were, you know, one of them was just like, I don't even know what I like. Like I'm just sort of here, you know. And it was just like, what? Like oh, how do you not know what you like? Yeah, it's it's very shocking. And because you know, I'm like the complete opposite. I'm like, oh, I, I'm gonna tell you what I like. <laughs> you know? <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: it's very, that's devastating. That's devastating to hear. Honestly. Um, I was on another episode. I was talking to, um, I don't remember who I was talking to, but we were just talking about like, um, how folks engage with each other. And I was saying that it really made me sad that in a lot of my experiences with women, um, like I'll ask my partner, I'm like, what, what, what do you like? Like, just you tell me what you like. Um, instead of me, I'm not going to assume that I know like, oh yeah, I'm just, you know, I got all this prowess. I know exactly what to do. Like, no, uh, you tell me what you enjoy um, and let's kind of cultivate this together. Um, And then maybe there'll be some new stuff that you, you I mean, I might spring something on you, but I want that foundation to be what your, you know, what your likes are. And just in the interactions I've had with, with women um, that is so not the norm. So that when I ask, they're either like, Hmm, no one's ever asked me or if they tell me and, and that's what I actually do. Like, I've literally had a woman tell me, wow, you did exactly what I said I liked. And I was like, well, yeah, like you are <laughs> you're sharing your body with me. Like, I'm not going to just be like, I'm about to just run off right. on this tangent. And do stuff <laughs> I want to do when you told me like, yeah, this is a. You said is what you like. I'm like, OK, girl, this is, what, this is what's going to happen. Right. <laughs> and, and literally was like just looking at me like you actually she's like no one has actually ever done that. And I was just like, what? I mean, it was so it, it really saddened me. It was really devastating to me because this is these are the experiences that that women have been subjected to really, where it's just like people are just kind of acting on their body and not like with them. Um, it's just all bad.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Totally. It's sad, like you said. But, you know, people are selfish, (laughs) too, you know, (laughs) like people want to do what they want to do, you know. That's like, that I enjoy this with
1: your voice. Let me do that. Right. It's like what you were talking about with the objectifying. It really is that person's object as opposed to a subject. You know, like, oh well, this person is like a recipient of my my affection, my attention, my whatever. It's like, no, they're really just like this thing I'm using, um, which is just so it's so it's I mean, I get where it comes from. It's still ridiculous to me. And then when I think about kind of just how I feel about women, it's really hard for me to fathom engaging with a woman in that way. Like, it's just hard, so hard for me to be like, knowing that I adore <laughs> women, like knowing that I, I'm just like, what? I can't, that doesn't compute. I can't imagine like treating um, a woman that way. But of course that's not typical, especially when with engaging with men um, or even not men, but when that's the framework that we have, when it's like, that's what how we're used to functioning and that's all we have to go off of yeah. um, unless they come into contact with, you know, someone like you who is doing some type of education that goes against that. Then it's like, that's all they know. And that's that's what really um, saddens me. Yeah, agreed. I'm I'm with you 100 percent. If you look back and you have like your 16 year old self <laughs> versus now, um, did you have any type of let's say, like, did you envision like, OK, I, I've come out and kind of just looking ahead to your future. Did you have some type of vision about the type of woman that you wanted to be or the type of things you wanted to do? And or is there something like, oh, let me I would tell my 16 year old self. It's kind of a cliche question, but I'm so curious because from coming from, oh, I, you know, I came out. This is kind of what the response was. This is kind of my journey to now. Um, is it something that you. Imagined um, being in a place that's similar to this or are you just like totally
0: surprised by, you know, the woman that you are now? Oh my gosh. So I, so before I was 16, you know, I had one of those, like, I'm going to be a housewife, you know, with two really? 5 kids um oh, married. Well, as a
1: yeah. The housewife <laughs> that is like right secretly that. teaching the other housewives about like all the little like sexy right. things and stuff. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so like I had I was like I don't know what I was thinking. I would just I had no like desire to go to college. I had no like, you know, even though like I was an academic really essentially, like I was like in all A P classes, like you know, I just I was a Mesa student. Like I had Mesa awards up the yin yang. Like I just had no, I I just had a desire to be a freaking housewife. And then like, once I realized I like women, like everything was just off the table. Like everything was just like, oh shit. Like, I don't even know what does this life look like? You know, like I had been socialized to think that this is the way, you know, my life should be. I should be married to a guy, white picket fence, 2.5 kids and a dog. You know, and that's my life. And um, and then after, like once I, I don't know, woke up out of the freaking whatever nightmare I was in. Um, I realized, like, oh my god, like no, that's not the life that I want, right? Like, I actually, like, I want to do stuff. I want to travel. I want to, you <laughs> know, like, I don't want to just be experience out. <laughs> the world. Like, there's so many different kinds of people, and I think because I was in a small town, like I grew up. You know, going to Center Elementary, Center Junior High, and Center High School, right? Like all of, you know, it, it was a small oh, town. Wow. a lot of the people <laughs> that I had grown up with had grown up since elementary school. Like, so my life just changed completely, right? Um once I came out. So I really feel that, um like I don't know. like now, i think i was hoping and after i came out i think i was hoping that like i would have a boo like in my 20s you know like my my permanent i still held on to that to the belief of you know long-term relationship you know like married in your 20s like i still held on to that and in this queer world like that just that shit is rare if it happens at all <laughs> you know like and then realizing that like oh wait a minute like this is not actually or it happens but it's like the
1: <laughs> because if we're looking at we're looking at like queer relationships but we're still using a, a hetero like a cishet framework um sometimes i mean a lot of times it does happen but um there's just differences like if you a lot of times like uh when you look at what is considered a successful like long-term relationship especially like a hetero relationship a lot of it's predicated on um, these very specific gender roles. Um, not even that all straight people like really adhere to those, but the framework, like the, you know, the framework that is ingrained into us, it relies on these very specific uh, gender roles and these very specific like roles that are assigned to masculinity and femininity and all this kind of stuff. So when we are in a queer relationship, we're like, well, in reality, this framework doesn't fit us. We still a lot of times try to squeeze into it or try to like fit ourselves into it by saying, oh, oh, well, if this person's more masculine, they should do this. And if this person's more feminine, they should do this. But the reality is it was not, that framework wasn't made for us. So it doesn't fit. Um, so then there these problems arise. You know, with trying yeah. to like
0: this. Yeah. But so it's interesting, though, too. Like, I actually had to reclaim that for myself. Right. Like, so we, you know, for, like when you said, like, oh, like it wasn't made for us. And at the same time, it's like, I love the spectrum of femininity and masculinity. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, yeah. I, I only date masculine people. Right. Like, I but I I really had to be like, OK, even though I'm queer and, uh, you know, as an aggressive femme, right. Like, people <laughs> tell me all the time, they're like, Marla, wow, like, you're mm-hmm. such a dude. Right, like, and I'm like, yeah, yeah I, I guess because <laughs> I love women and I want to be around them like all the time and like you know, touch and feel on them. Yes, so you call me a dude, that's fine, <laughs> but like, that makes me a dude, fine, <laughs> I know, right? Like, I get what you're saying, but you, I think you just don't realize like women can do that too right like right. women exactly. can also be aggressive and women can want women as much as men want women um and i'm also feminine and that feels good to me right like and i'm going to like i'm okay with that like i don't have to be super masculine or i don't have to um but i i just really had to reclaim those gender roles for myself cuz I, it's, even though it's like, yes, that's what we were taught. It's like, oh no, but I actually like it, you know? But it's
1: different when you, it's different when you get to actually kind of like claim it for yourself as opposed to it just being like put on you. Like, this is just your only option. Um, You you know, have the agency in you. Cause I mean, that was the reason for a long time I rejected the label femme. I rejected it. I was just like, but it was just because of what I was accustomed to kind of being associated with it. Because like now I'm like, I will say I'm femme. But before or I, I just was like, mm-mm. I rejected it because I felt like, OK, if I say that I'm femme, that means that I have to uh, kind of D- uh, dumb down or like water down any of my masculinity. And I have a lot of it. Um And so I felt like it put me in a box that I wasn't comfortable being in. But I had to kind of like unpack it because I had to figure out what that was coming from and unpack that and then reclaim it. But I didn't know initially. So initially I was just like, I'm not a femme. I'm just me, you know, <laughs> Um or just whatever. I just was like, don't don't call me a femme. I mean, I don't want to be called a stud or anything either. But I was just like, don't call. I just really, really rejected it because of my assertiveness and my aggressiveness and all that kind of stuff, it, it seemed like it didn't fit. And so I had to learn that, hey, like yeah. these things still fit. You can be femme and still be assertive. You can be femme and still have masculinity. Like you can one yes. spectrum. Um, You can be a tomboy and still be femme. You can be, um as <laughs> me and my wife would say, like you can be zaddy and still be femme. Like you can be all these things <laughs> and nice. still be femme and still, you know, embrace. Because I I felt this need to like the femme label and really kind of hold on, hold on very tightly to my masculinity. And I and I had to realize that stem back to like when I was younger and just kind of I always knew I like girls, always knew. But I felt like because of these specific gender roles that like in order to be like when I was a little, I wanted to be a little boy because I felt like I had to be a little boy to be with a little girl. That was my reasoning because I'm like, well, mm. that's that's how if I want a girlfriend, I got to be a boy if I want a wife, mm. I got to be a husband. Like, you know, mm. that kind of thing. And I always yeah. knew that I wanted, I wanted like, you know, a girl or a woman or whatever. So I was like, oh, so I guess that means, you know, I'm, I want to be a little boy. Um, and yeah. I was already like tomboyish and stuff. So that was my thing. So I feel like As I got older, I was really holding on to to that because I felt like um, I needed that. I needed the masculinity um, in a way to kind of validate me having me engaging with someone who was feminine. Because, I mean, I like my wife is more masculine center, but I like the spectrum femme. I don't care. I just like women. Um, But I really (laughs) held on to that. I really held on to it. And I was just like. I, and I rejected femme because I had experienced a lot of erasure with femme, like being in a femme identity and like engaging with women. So really, it's like I held on to masculinity um, and rejected the femme label because of visibility. I felt more visible, more valid in my queerness. Um, but yeah, it took it took some time. Now I'm just like, look, whatever, <laughs> you know, I am who I am. Um, so like, it's it's different now, but at the time, it was just like after already being in this place of feeling very. Uh, just not feeling seen I was kind of like holding on to things that made me feel visible and valid and then I had to realize like hey you don't need like you can be all these things you can be femme and be visible and valid and all kind of things you
0: yes how- and like and, and we can embrace like all the labels right like some right. people think like just because you're a tomboy that you can't be femme like no like those right. things can go together but what you think of a tomboy is is me and then what you think of a femme is also me like and what right. you know whatever you those things are all me you know and um it's funny because as like, you know. We have conversations around like labels, right? Like people are like, "Don't label me, don't label me," and I'm just like, "But labels can be so empowering, like as much mm-hmm. as people that's think that labels can be <laughs> disempowering." Exactly, right? It's just like just label yourself all the things. Like it's okay, like whatever right. you feel like, just label whatever else you think may be contradicting that. It's fine that's if you beautiful. if you feel like it belongs to right. you, you know.
1: But I, I had to understand that because I did feel like, and we. We are kind of taught that it is either or. And so I thought it was either or like, okay, if I accept this fem label, that means that <clears throat> if I accept this film label, that means I'm like walking away from <laughs> the masculinity. And I, I did think it had to be either or. Um, and now, I mean, I know that it doesn't have to be, but that's what we're taught. So a lot of people, um, they don't know. I mean, they don't, they don't, don't consider that it can be, you know, all or it can be multiple. It doesn't have to be either or you can really, we get to cure rated for ourselves, like what actually fits you, some of those things maybe uh, may seem contradictory, but we're nuanced people. So we can have these things coexisting. Um, but that is still, even in 2018, still a pretty radical, like frame of mind. And so it's something that we're still adjusting, you know, people are still kind of like learning.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Like, we're, we are still learning. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a process, you know, it really is. All right. So um, I definitely
1: want to thank you for being willing to come on the podcast and and talk with me and let my listeners get to know a little bit more about you. Uh, I learned some things about you. So I thought that was pretty cool. And um, just learn some new things in general. So we are going to have another, I guess, part you can say to this, to our conversation. Um, So make sure that you also tune into that, but, um, yeah, I just really want to thank you for, for being on. Is there anything that you want to add or want to plug, um, you know, feel free. <laughs> Shameless plugs. all.
0: Yeah, I mean, first of all, thank you for having me. I really appreciate um, being on your show and, um, you know, I think you're absolutely amazing and wonderful, so I really, um, I'm glad to be here. Um, as far as like social media, if you want to follow me personally, um, it's just at one Marla Stewart um, and my company is at Velvet Lips ATL and um, at Sex Down South ATL or SD DSCON on Instagram. So um but yeah, that's pretty much it. Like thank you again.
1: Black Radical Queer is a main hustle media podcast hosted by Javi and Nicole and produced and edited by Charmaine Johnson. Music is by Young Hearts. You can find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Black Rad Queer. That's B-L-K-R-A-D-Q-W-R. And you can also listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to stay connected to us in our discussion group. It's called the BRQ Discussion Group on Facebook, where we will continue the conversations that we start in the podcast. So I have created the first official Black Radical Queer merchandise item, and it is a bomb black on black t-shirt. So make sure you head over to Teespring and check it out. Cop it, rock it, send me photos so I can post on the Instagram. Um, Yeah, because I think the shirt is pretty dope. I hope you all like it. Um, I'll include a link to the Teespring in the show notes so you can go cop the shirt. Thank you so much for supporting Black Radical Queer podcast.